We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Chaneo Gwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Hello. We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, Cam Newton has the yips. He basically admitted it after the game yesterday. Now, what are the yips? It's brain lock. It's when your physical is impaired by your mental. Not that you're not smart. It's just your brain saying, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if it's the right thing to do. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then you get sacked and roll up on Jermaine Illuminor and cost him a trip to IR. Or you throw late over the middle of Nikhil Harry and get him knocked out. Or you throw it at the feet of James White and he gets clubbed for a three-yard loss. Or you overshoot Demir Bird by 15 yards, but you get a 15-yard penalty to make it look good. Or you undershoot Demir Bird by eight yards and you one-hop him. Or you throw it behind Julian Edelman. Welcome, everybody, to another AFCE's Roundup podcast. Oh, beer oh, no. everywhere. I am your host, Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. We make up the Rock Power Report, and that was Tom Curran of NBC Sports Network on the Patriots Talk podcast, talking about the struggle, the all aboard the, the struggle yips. bus. In fact, not, yips. not even all aboard. Cam Newton right now, is he's the driver of the struggle bus. Oh, what a, what a week to be a fan of AFC East football. Outside of Chris, level with me. The NFC West might be the best division in football. 100%. Which seems strange because do you remember when they sucked? Uh, yeah, you, I vaguely remember the Seahawks uh, winning a playoff game at 7-9 and nine over the Saints because of a certain run by a certain former Buffalo Bill player 
Listen, I just love the fact that when Marshawn Lynch scored that touchdown, he had the wherewithal to grab his crotch, to jump backwards and grab his crotch, because that's the type of pettiness I appreciate. (laughs) But when you look at the AFC East, the AFC East has all of a sudden be we kind of talked about it in the offseason about how this division could be interesting, at least more interesting than people give it credit for. And all of a sudden, it's playing out that way, just not the way everyone thought. I mean, you look at the standings. Well, at least we're not the NFC East. <laughs> God. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think our division, even with the Jets, could be the NFC East if we tried. That's no. embarrassing. The standings. You've got the Buffalo Bills at 5-2 and two in first place. Having a team that's 5-2, and two, Chris, you think Bills fans would be more excited than we are. But even in victory, our uncharacteristically sloppy season has just kind of found a way to continue. Yeah, you are an awful human being when we win games. Oh, I know. (laughs) Rapidly running out of time here, Chris. That's the problem. That's why I'm just a curmudgeon, because we're running out of time to fix the issues here before we run headfirst into that NFC West buzzsaw. I mean, anybody who stayed up on Sunday to watch, like I did, to watch uh, Seattle and Arizona play each other, Nobody walked away from that game feeling good about the Buffalo Bills odds. Did you? No, you went to bed. No, I did. I watched half the game. I did I did see Buda Baker get chased down <laughs> by by DK Metcalf. Mm-hmm. And in one of them I'm glad that that play became memeable for no other reason than it finally takes it almost like lets Josh Norman go back to his normal everyday life. Well, Daniel Jones did that last week. That's true. That's true. Maybe Daniel Jones really did take some of the yeah. some of the heat off of him. And then Buda Baker completely erased it. How crazy is it that we live in 2020 where even if you're the biggest ass on the planet, it doesn't matter because somebody somebody's coming and it's coming soon. So yes. all you got to do is lay on the ropes, take the punches, and eventually people will move on. In second place, you have the Miami Dolphins. Shockingly still alone in second place at 3-3. Three and three. They're going to be coming out of a buy and looking to close the gap on the Bills with their rookie quarterback taking the helm of the offense. Their week off has them two and a half games back of a division lead, and their bye week was spent getting two up to speed as their offense cannot afford any setbacks. And they're coming up on a rough slate of games to have that. Then we've got the Patriots in third place. Third place! It still feels... Chris saying it just makes me smile a little bit. Yeah, I I hope they can catch the Jets for last. Oh, it would be it would be a thing of beauty. I mean, it really is hard to wrap our collective heads around what we're seeing in Foxborough. It's just unbilicheckian. It's the only way you can describe it. Without a single win in the month of October for the first time in Bill Belichick's career in New England, and fresh off the worst loss of his career as the coach there, where do you look for answers? The draft and free agency. You know, next year. Yeah, you mail it in right now. We're approaching the halfway point of the NFL season, and the Patriots are approaching the earliest mathematical disqualification from the NFL postseason since the turn of the century. You have to go all the way back to 2000 to find a year where they were mathematically eliminated from the playoffs earlier than what their current trajectory is. That's wild. If anything, that's peak 2020. And then you've got the New York Jets holding down the fort. And there's no question here who's in the basement, right? Yeah, they are one of the worst football teams I've ever seen in my adult life. (laughs) They're currently in four. We almost lost to them, so hey, watch that. Uh, We didn't. mm, 
I was never it was never in doubt for me, even though we were behind. But I mean, the, they, the Jets are bad. The Jets looked formidable, or at least the most formidable they've looked all season, and still failed to find that first W of twenty twenty. I've run I've run out, Chris. I've run out of creative ways to articulate the struggle of this football team. I mean, I mean it, Chris. I've really run out of hyperbole here. There's no. I, I, it's, do you know how hard it is? Like, I feel for comedians who have to constantly try to come up with. Because, Chris, when you're a comedian, you come up with a set. How long is that set fresh for? Uh, well, it depends. I know. I think Burt Kreischer actually does. When he gets his one hour, he performs it, I think, 125 times before it's filmed for a Netflix special. Okay. But what about – so here's the thing. That's you repeating the same thing over and over and over again to different people. Yeah. We have one friggin' audience. Yeah. <laughs> I'm running out of material here to hyperbole, fancy verbiage to try to describe just how wrong things have gone for the New York Jets in 2020. So I'm not even going to try anymore. I'm going to let our guest Scott Mason do that as we bring him into the show to discuss the Jets' loss to the Buffalo Bills. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> Thanks for the introduction. That was Burt Kreischer in an introduction for me. I appreciate that one. I'll say this. It is more or less exactly what I expected to see on Sunday, with the exception of the Jets actually looking good for a brief fleeting moment. Oh, come the, on. You know, you, There's not some small part of you that had – think about this. I, we've had you on this show now for seven weeks, and we bag all over the Jets. There's always some new material for us to come out. And dunk and you know Harlem Globetrotter our way around the conversation as we yeah. talk about your football team. You guys just had the you come the came the closest you've come all season to winning a football game, and you is that because it's the longest they've held the lead. You, that's the longest you've <laughs> held the lead. There has to be some small part of you that enjoyed that. I'll put it this way: I don't know if you're familiar with Marvin Hagler, who's a boxing legend. Yes. He once talked about his fight with Tommy Hearns, and Tommy Hearns had a legendary right hand. And Hearns hit Hagler during their fight, and Hagler barely blinked. And Hagler's line was something along the lines of, if you want to knock me out, you better hit me with the ring post because I ain't going nowhere. And that's kind of how I feel now. I am completely numb. Nothing bothers <laughs> me. I, I'm just, as Pig Floyd said, I'm comfortably numb. So I'm just sitting there watching the game, looking to see who plays well, and I can't get super invested in the win or the loss at this point because they're 0-7. Even going to that game, they were 0-6. Yeah, there would have been some satisfaction to seeing the Bills lose three in a row, I suppose, just because. And I'm not talking about you guys, but a lot of Bills fans have been all of a sudden the, the team is good for the first time in 25 years or whatever. And now Bills fans think they're the Patriots or something. So there's a little bit of that. But I doesn't it didn't really affect me that much i wasn't sitting there crying in my soup or anything like that but yeah it was interesting i definitely didn't expect to see it especially with pat oswalt calling the plays for the jets uh for the first time this season that was really weird <laughs> pat oswalt chris did make note in the middle of the game he goes hey kind of flags me down and i look at him and i go what what the? and he goes adam gase not calling plays it's like what are you talking about <laughs> What? So, just a week or so, what was it? Two weeks removed from Adam Gase standing in front of the New York media saying that the staff had the utmost confidence in him 
to fix their play calling issues and that no play calling change would take place. All of a sudden he gives up the head he gives up the clipboard and the headset. What do you make of that? I'm not sure if he was forced to do it or he just decided to try it for one game or it could also be that he figured if he did it and it didn't work, then he could go back to it and say, hey, we gave it a shot. And that way he gets the media off of his back. I'm not entirely sure. The funny thing about it is they look good early on. Dow Loggins had some different plays and you could tell that Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier were confused a little bit in the early going. They didn't really expect to see what they saw from the Jets, but then once they got their sea legs under them and figured out what the Jets were doing, they made the proper adjustments. The Jets, as usual, did not make any adjustments, and from there it all fell apart. I think the stat was something like Darnold was 10 for 11 for 107 yards early on, and then he finished the game something like 11 for 23 for 120 yards so that just kind of tells you how that day went once the bills figured it out and it was around halfway through the second quarter that's when all the wheels fell off and the same thing sort of happened the other way because Allen had a lot of problems early in the game but once the bills offense made the proper adjustments once Abel started to figure out what was going on Allen had himself a really nice day and the bills offense started to get going now they didn't score a ton of points because the Jets were able, it was li- the literal dic- dictionary definition of bend but don't break. But they were getting yards after yards after yards after yards. So they dominated the game. And it was just interesting to see how the Jets did pretty well for a quarter, quarter and a half. And then the Bills just completely took over. It's like, oh, right. The Bills are just a much better football team. I forgot about that well, for a we, second. In our Rock Pile Report podcast this week, we really kind of dug into what caused the what it is that keyed the turnaround and also some of the things that really led to us struggling as badly as we did to put points on the board. You want to talk about statistics that underscore the Jets' struggles? Four inches per play. Uh, six inches. Six inches per play in the second half. That's what you guys averaged with six inches of field per play. Chris, when you hear that number, there's high school football teams that you assume could move the ball six inches every time they touch it, right? Yeah, just got to get it in deep. <laughs> and so it's, it's one of those things. It's one of those things where when you hear that and you think to yourself, those guys got paid. Jets players took paychecks for that. What? I don't even know what to make of that. But obviously, the game didn't go the way you guys wanted it to, although it kind of did because I know that, like most Jets fans, you guys are actively rooting now for the... You guys are rooting for the end of this thing already. I mean, I feel like you guys are looking at this the way I'm looking at this presidential election. Hellfire and brimstone be damned, you just want it to end. You just want to see what's on the other side. And (laughs) And so with that in mind, I guess the question is, the big thing here... The rumors, the things flying around, your team, your team looking at the trade deadline, there's conflicting reports of trades being made, that the Jets are going to be massive sellers. What do you, do you see any movement on that front? Because trade talk, it drives me insane. And I I feel like now it's just... In-season trade talk. In-season trade talk, more manufactured by the media, that there's more smoke than actual fire, Right. I think they'll try to move some of the guys that are either on one-year deals or at the end of their contracts. I'm sure they would love to unload Henry Anderson. Can't imagine anybody would take him. 
Marcus May is a possibility if somebody wants to give up a decent pick. Brian Poole, who's been one of the better slot corners in the league, but he's on a one-year deal. He's somebody else that they might be able to move. Can't imagine anybody would want Jordan Jenkins with the way he's playing, but he's somebody that maybe a team is willing to give up a late-round draft pick for. Beyond that, like you said, the two guys that a lot of people have been talking about are Jamison Crowder and Quinnen Williams, and there have been all kinds of conflicting reports about Quinnen Williams specifically to the point where it was really funny. This morning, he tweeted out something at his agent directly. It said, hey, Agent Nicole Lynn, good morning, with a smiley face and a, a laugh emoji. <laughs> So I thought that was pretty funny. But, yeah, nobody knows for sure. I would suspect, just based on what I've heard from asking around, that Quinn and Williams is probably not getting traded. It sounds like the Jets are willing to do it, but a team would have to pay a pretty hefty price. I think it's a Jamal it Adams. Is, is it fair to say it's like a Jamal Adams situation where someone would have to come in and blow the doors off of them to make, a, to make that deal work? I'm not sure it would be that extreme it would be for me if i was the one making the decisions but i'm not so sure that's the case with them but i still think trading quentin williams is, is an would be an incredibly stupid thing to do he's 22 years old as you guys saw during the game when he dominated he's uh becoming one of the best defensive players in the league at his position he's on his rookie deal that's the kind of guy that you keep and build around and with jamison crowder we were talking about this before we started recording, Drew. It's that old Peter Griffin routine on Family Guy with Jameson Crowder. Everybody's saying, well, trade him, get a third round pick, and then you can go and use that money on some big time receiver. And the third round pick or fourth round pick thing reminds me of the, hey, you, you could have this box or you could have this boat. And Peter says, this is, great. this is great. Anything could be in that box, even a boat, which is what essentially this boils down to with the Jets because, yeah, you could get a third or fourth round pick for Crowder, but the odds of getting a player that are as good as Crowder are not great. And by the way, he's 27, still in his prime. I would extend him. He's a very productive player, especially this year. He's been outstanding, made a ton of big plays. And I keep telling Jets fans, you want to get rid of his $11 million salary and clear cap space. And what's going to end up happening is you keep talking about Allen Robinson or Kenny Galladay. Those guys are not making it to free agency. What is going to end up happening with that $11 million is the Jays will spend it on a backup quarterback and bringing back Rashad Perriman. So everybody that's so fast, I think when you're a team like the Jets and you have no good skill position players, you have one playmaker who's relatively young and not super expensive, you want to run that guy out, whether it's Darnold or a new quarterback next year, you've got to have somebody. Denzel Mims looks promising, but we don't know what he is yet. Crowder is the only guy that they have that's a proven playmaker, and he's not an old man or anything. It would be madness to me to trade him, but it's possible if the right uh, deal comes along. It sounds like the Jets are willing to deal just about anybody on the roster with the exception of Beckett for the right price. See, and I guess it's a thing. When you're a team like that, I don't know what you have to trade. Your cupboard is already fairly bare. That's the reason you don't have any wins. If your team had was overflowing with talent that other teams might want, outside of depth moves, like some team that's a contender that wants to shore up a position – I could see something like that, but I just don't see anyone cherry-picking anyone off the Jets roster unless it's a swing for the fences. Hey, we're going to give up multiple firsts for a Jamal Adams. And if you were going to, like that type of a trade for a Quinnen Williams, and if you were going to do that, you would have done it preseason. Because you bring in a defensive lineman, as the Buffalo Bills are finding out, 
it takes them time to gel, gel with the system, gel with their teammates, gel with what the what their specific duties are. And so bringing in a guy like that midseason, unless you know for a fact your system is a, is a perfect fit, you're in a lot of trouble because you're giving up a lot of assets for something that you don't know is going to pay immediate returns. The, speaking of returns, the burning question I've had ever since the game, I went on your podcast, the Play Like a Jet podcast last week, to do your Know Your Foe segment. And I told everyone, everyone, that if they could still get a double-digit point line on that game to pound it, to go, to run to their to, to the nearest sports betting office and throw a whole paycheck at the fact because these Buffalo Bills were not going to make thirteen and a half if you could get it. I, I even thought ten was solid. In retrospect, knowing now that they indeed did not cover the spread, the, the Jets won that. Did you take my advice? I'm not a gambler, but I think that quite a few of my listeners did. And I know that Joe Blewett went out and bet on the Jets. He posted his uh, receipt on Twitter. So he certainly did. I'll tell you this, Drew. The funny thing about it is they easily could have covered that spread because if even one of those field goals was turned into a touchdown, then boom. So it's just really interesting how it played out that they held them to all those field goals and it really helped anybody who bet on the Jets for that game. But yeah, you called it. You were 100% right on that one. Okay, I'm 100% right on that one because I understand that sports betting is the devil. And when you see lines like that, you No, no, no. I promised one of your li- I promised one of your listeners on Twitter I was going to tell this story, and I feel like it could be educational for my partner here. You see Chris has decided that at the age of 36, he's going to finally just launch whole hog into the world of sports betting. Chris, why don't you tell everybody what happened to you this weekend? I had a four game. I had a four uh, four game parlay over under on the Titans and Steelers, uh, Packers to cover, Missouri on the money line, and Ole Miss on the money line. And then today, the SEC came out and said, "Oh, we made a mistake in the Ole Miss Auburn game, which was on a kickoff that Auburn eventually won the game on, touched a player, and Ole Miss recovered in the end zone, and they just called it a touchback." They didn't even go to a video review. They just called it a touchback. Ole Miss should have won the game. So if anybody knows Greg Sankey, uh, give me his email. He owes me $800. (laughs) (laughs) That is the definition of a bad beat, but that's what happens when you gamble on sports. Now, folks, open a fresh beer because I'm going to tell a story. Don't worry. I've researched it, Chris. The statute of limitations has expired, so I'm not considered legally liable for any of this. I'm going to explain to you why Drew Gear doesn't gamble anymore. I don't gamble on sports, not because I don't understand them, but because I've been a loser. Not even just as a better, but also as a bookie. Drew the Gambler. Okay, that, that saga of my life started one summer where I got super into the idea of parlays, just like my friend Chris here. And I decided that I was going to open up a sports betting account, sportsbetting.com. That's how long ago this is, back in the mid-2000s, mid-aughts of the 2000s. And I started doing baseball parlays every day because you could find a couple aces, you could string them together, and if you won, you'd win, you'd triple your money. 15 bucks would get you 70, you know, 70. If you bet 60, you'd get one, you know, 120, 150, and so on and so forth. And if every time you hit, you spotted yourself another couple days of betting. And so over the course of a baseball season, I took my couple hundred bucks and I turned it into 
about two, three thousand. Then basketball came around, and I said, "Well, I don't know shit about basketball, but I have a friend who does, and he knows the lines. We never bet spreads; it was always just the under/over." And we started crushing basketball. I worked this sports betting account up to where it was probably worth about forty-eight hundred dollars. I think at the time, it's at its peak. And then I got greedy. The summer had rolled around, and hockey playoffs were starting. The the mighty Ducks of Anaheim had just won the Stanley Cup, and now they're a seven seed playing a, uh, or they're a two seed playing a seven seed, the Dallas Stars. And I said to myself, if that team just won the cup, they can win a single series, right? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to double up and then get out of sports betting. So I put forty four hundred dollars on the Ducks to win the series against the Stars. Now, Chris, how many times does a seven beat a two in hockey? I, I would mean, a two beat a seven. It's fairly uh, common, right? Uh, I would say it's the least common of any sport that uh, does playoff seating like that, one eight two seven three six four five. Hockey is by far, which is why it's the best playoffs of any of the sports, is because anything can happen. Yeah, yeah, anything can happen. Like the Ducks losing that series in five games. Not even losing, but getting blown out, run out of the gym in every single one of their losses. I was at a bar. I had ordered my first drink. I'm drinking it. By the time I was done with my first beer, from puck drop to me finishing that first beer, the Ducks were losing 3-0. They, sc- they got scored on for a fourth time as the bartender was handing me my fourth one, and I slapped it onto the ground, handed him a 50, and walked out of the bar because I was like, I know I'm an asshole, and I shouldn't have done that, but I, I got to get out of here. Sports. So I said, you know what? I'm never betting on sports again because I lost almost my whole nut. A whole year's worth of work out the window in one terrible bet. On the other side, I decided I'd make a little scratch. I had a friend who was running book, the old turf accountant. <laughs> and we did all right. You know, he said, hey, I need some help. You can help me find guys. We'll split the winnings. We'll split the losses. And we did all right for a few weeks. And then came the week. The week. It started with the University of Buffalo getting blown out by Bowling Green University. And some lunatic that he took a bet from bet like $1,500 on it. So we're already in a sizable hole to start the weekend. By the time the weekend was over going into Monday Night Football, me and my partner owed each out of pocket approximately $5,800. $5,800 a man that I'm in my early 20s. I have no idea where I'm going to get this $5,800. <laughs> what do I know? So he comes to me, like the lunatic that he is. I'm pretty sure you know who I'm talking about, Chris. Heard of him. Met him. Yeah, you've, heard, you've heard of this guy. You've met him a few times. He was one of the guys who stood up at my wedding. Yeah, we know. So this is why I love this guy. He comes to me and goes, okay, you don't have, you don't have the money, do you? I go, no, of course not. He goes, okay, then here's what we're going to do. The Packers were playing the Saints on Monday Night Football. Everyone was taking the Packers. He said, everyone we're taking bets from is taking the Packers. You and me are going to roll $2,000 a man on the Saints and just hope we're right. And I'm like, well, where the hell am I going to get $2,000 from if I can't get the 50? He goes, don't worry about that. We'll figure it out later. What do you mean we're going to figure it out later? But again, I'm in my early 20s and I'm broke. I don't know what I'm doing. So I, Chris, the most agonizing three and a half hours of my life was spent in a bar with a beer in each hand because I figured, well, I still have legs. I might as well walk around on them. 
because obviously I'm going to end up in a river somewhere, or I'm at, at, a, at the very least, I'm going to get beat up for this. Like, this is, this is how it ends. And I watched as the Saints dominated, dominated Green Bay, blew out the line, blew out the over pretty much by themselves. I had our friend, you know who he is. Heard of him. On my shoulders like it was a chicken fight in a pool running around the bar because I was so happy that instead of losing probably probably some fingers, maybe a limb, most my car was probably going to get demolished by someone in a parking lot. Instead of that, I only owed $1,000, which at the time was almost everything in my bank account, but at least I still had my health. And so I paid my tab and I quit, be, I quit running book. That was the day I realized no good ever comes from gambling, regardless of format. Scott, <laughs> as someone who doesn't bet on sports, is this are these the types of stories that keep you from getting involved? Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> because I know that one wrong turn and that would be me. So I am going to make sure that I don't even attempt to get involved in that. And Chris... Does this cautionary tale do anything to dampen your outlook as far as how sports betting can go wrong? No, it doesn't because I don't do it with – I don't like – my book is the casino. <laughs> it's not a couple of guys <laughs> like it's, you know, like it's a, like a mafia that you get in Rahway, New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> he said the Rawway reference. I like it. <laughs> he throws in Rawway. <laughs> Folks, if you'd missed out on that line, I'm sure there's a lot of legal ways for you to go waste your hard earned money betting on more of them against the Jets coming up in the future. Scott, I just appreciate the fact that you come have these conversations with us every week. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find your stuff and what you have coming up this week? As always, gentlemen, it's a pleasure. So this week is going to be interesting because I'm starting something a little bit different. Drew, you mentioned that you were on Know Your Foe. That was the last edition of Know Your Foe for this season because I hate to say it, no one really cares anymore about <laughs> learning about the opposing team because they're going to be major underdogs in every single game. So the usual stuff, we did the post-game report with Andy Vasquez on Monday. On Tuesday, it's there's always next year with Brian Bassett. Wednesdays, Manish comes on. It'll be interesting this week because of all the Quinn and Williams talking. Now on Thursdays, instead of Know Your Foe, we're changing things up a bit. Michael Nania was usually on Thursdays with his look at the statistics, Chronicles of Nania. That's going to move to Friday. On Thursdays, we're going to be doing Jet-centric draft talk. So we're going to be taking a real hard look at a lot of the prospects that the Jets should be keeping their eye on, that Jets fans should be keeping their eye on, a look at the key college matchups each week and we're going to be alternating it'll be charlie campbell of walterfootball.com one week and the following week it will be connor rogers of bleacher report so we're going to mix and match there then fridays we're going to have michael manny as i said saturdays we look at the film with your old friend joe blewett and then on sundays we're going to take a look at the gambling lines and have some uh, some betting stuff with walter cherpinski of walterfootball.com but more importantly the very big deal, Chris Nimbley of JetsInsider.com comes on, do a short preview of the game, and then we answer mailbag questions, which are always fun because they range from anything involving why isn't Adam Gase fired yet to what's your favorite type of specialty pizza. So we run the gamut on that, have a lot of fun, and that's it. Seven days a week, you know that. You can find me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1, and you can download the podcast on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple anywhere that you can find podcasts. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. 
You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides you powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to give you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offered valid through December 31st. And that brings us to our Buffalo Bills, Chris. We won 18-10 versus the New York Jets. Now, we articulated in vast detail in our Rock Pile Report podcast, and we encourage anybody who hasn't heard it yet to go check that out because we talk about why that became the Tyler Bass game. We talk about exactly what keyed our victory, and really, it's just the Bills having to figure out who the hell they want to be. That's what it comes down to. And I don't know that this is the week to do it, but I feel like there's something bigger here to talk about because it's made a lot of headlines around Bill's Mafia, Bill's social media, Bill's everything. I want to talk about, in fact, allow me to crack a fresh one because we got to get into this. The trade deadline and why everyone needs to calm the hell down. The trade deadline is right around the corner. It's November. Th- there you go. Oh, we almost lost that one, just like we did when we opened the show. The trade deadline is right around the corner. And it's like every single Bills fan out there is pounding the table for an impactful in-season trade. And it's almost always. Chris, I don't know if you dabble in any of the Buffalo Bills Facebook groups. No, I don't. I don't even, I barely dabble in Facebook. Twitter. I dabble in that. When I dabble in that because you you burn it down like three times a week. <laughs> Somebody has to. When you see some of the tweets regarding things that the Buffalo Bills should be doing at the trade deadline, how outlandish has it gotten by your measure? Well, if I see it and I read it and then I just go, wow, this isn't Madden. I mean, I literally stopped listening to WGR 550 because they take calls from these people. Who don't understand the NFL salary cap? You used to call in. I did. And I got them. Really... I got them in the sound bank. Oh my god! <laughs> One of these days we're gonna get drunk and air those. I would call because I had a nuanced understanding of football, and one day I got sick of calling and realized we could just make a podcast out of this. But that's because I know what I'm talking about. You have people who have no understanding of the salary cap. They have no understanding of what draft picks are worth. They they don't get it, but I can't blame them because these people who are out here demanding that the Bills do all these wild things, look at every single Bills content outlet this week. Every one of them, if you go there, has some sort of cockamamie article as to who the Bills should trade for and trade fits at the deadline. And Chris, that is the same thing as power rankings. That's how useless those types of articles are. That's how useless that type of content is. 
I could tell you 90 players around the NFL that would make sense to add to the Buffalo Bills. Guess how likely it is? It's about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's enraging that people spend their time on this. Everyone, take a deep breath with me. Goose Fraba. We all need to calm down when it comes to the idea of trades for the Buffalo Bills. Allow me to explain why I don't think the Buffalo Bills should be making any moves. And why no one should be upset, not just if, but when the deadline comes with no, without incident for the Buffalo Bills. First of all, the salary cap prohibits any quote-unquote great moves. Bills fans were screaming on Twitter into the ether when defensive end Yannick Ngakwe, the apple of a lot of people's eyes in the preseason, you, you remember that. We yeah. talked about it. How he who doesn't want a good four three proven defensive end? Yeah, I'd like to have him. Okay, he was traded to the Vikings and then subsequently traded from Minnesota to Baltimore for essentially day three draft picks. And everyone came out of the woodwork. Why not us? Oh, woe is me! This is the worst! Our GM is a bum! You heard all kinds of lunacy. I'll tell you why Brandon Bean wasn't making that deal. We can't afford it. And while Bean has been saying things publicly about quote-unquote working the phones and evaluating all options, he's doing so while also spending his afternoons rummaging through the proverbial couch looking for spare change because we have no cap space. None. If you don't believe me, go to SpokeTrack.com. We currently have just around $4 million. And there really isn't anywhere else to get it now, outside of trading away a player with a sizable cap hit while throwing in a pick or some other compensation to get that cap space, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Sure. I don't know why you're asking me. I don't understand the salary cap. Of course you don't. Imagine this. If I told you you could get rid of Trent Murphy and his eight, because now he's vested and really cutting him, now there's $8 million in dead money associated with it. So really, if you cut Trent Murphy at this point, you're only, you're really only saving a million dollars. So with $5 million, what marquee player are you bringing to the Buffalo Bills? I have no idea. Uh, the answer is nobody. All right. The answer is no one. Also, selling future assets to win in 2020 is a terrible idea. GMs who don't understand the value of draft picks as it relates to finding cost-effective talent to facilitate building a cohesive roster, they almost always pay the price for it. Just look at Bill O'Brien. He put on a master class of how to absolutely destroy a franchise. You pay a lot of old players... You get a lot of bloating contracts on your books for guys over the age of 27. You trade away all of your draft capital that would allow you to find cheap replacements for those guys with equivalent talent. Hashtag proceed to not profit. Like, that's it. That, that's what he did to that franchise. Can I throw out another football team? Sure. The Los Angeles Rams. I'm listening. And they paid... Uh, they paid Gurley 
They paid, didn't they pay Brandon Cooks? That yeah. contract? And then they went to the Super Bowl and lost. Had If that was the bill, if the Bills were in a, you know, in that conversation of Kansas City and Baltimore of being potential Super Bowl contender, I would absolutely sell the farm to attempt to get to the Super Bowl and win it this year if that meant we were going to be bad for the next five to ten years. But the problem is, as a fan, you like that. Yeah, because I want that Super Bowl. As somebody whose job depends on this team being routinely successful, that's it's career suicide. So when you look at the Bills roster, you're already seeing that his contracts from Milano, Allen, Edmonds, all these guys are on the horizon. There are some places that this roster has got to get better, younger, and more cost-effective. The first being wide receiver. I mean, obviously our players are good, but the fact is neither Beasley or Brown are spring chickens. They're both over the age of 29. And the fact that they're the third most expensive of the league, Gabe Davis and Isaiah Hodgins both made this roster for a reason. Yeah. And I'm sure you're going to see more, whether or not they use high draft capital to do it. There's going to have to be some turnover at this wide receiver position as we go forward because it's not it's not conceivable that you can spend this much money on older wide receivers and still be good long term. Yeah, when their contract when Beasley and Brown's contracts are up, that all that money is gonna shift to Josh Allen. And that's my point. The defensive line, like the wide receiver group, our GM chose to use our cap space over the last two seasons, fleshing out the defensive line with a combination, right? He, he kind of mixed in some draft picks, but they weren't... I mean, think about it. A boatload of money this offseason to defensive tackles and defensive ends. A third-round pick, a first-round pick, and a second-round pick in their tenure. And a seventh-round pick. Yeah, don't, forget, don't leave out that pterodactyl. Four draft picks in Bean's ten, tenure. And a lot of money spent. A lot. That becomes less palatable with the extension of the other players we just talked about. And there's going to have to be a youth movement on that front to provide some longer-term cap flexibility. And at linebacker, we said linebacker coming into 2020 was the group that scared the hell out of us. I know I did. Yet the team went out and is right now currently spending $4 million on a guy who literally only plays special teams. How terrifying is that? I mean, that's a luxury That's a luxury expense. About as terrifying as A.J. Klein in coverage. <sighs> well, it's, it, you're paying another $5 million for a, for a Sam linebacker who is now being miscast because of the injuries to the rest of the rookies who were supposed to make up this linebacker depth chart. Seeing the results it will convince pretty much anyone in Bill's Mafia who has a pulse that some real roster building needs to take place at the linebacker position. And once again... You can't spend a lot. Given the contracts we're going to have to give out at the position between a Milano extension and, at a minimum, an Edmonds fifth-year option. Chris, the guy made a Pro Bowl. He's been a team captain. What are the odds he doesn't see a fifth? People are talking about benching him. People are talking about moving him positions. Trey Edmonds? Trey Edmonds is going to see his fifth-year option. Yeah, he will. Seagram's bet. You want to take me on it? I think he'll see his fifth. Absolutely. That's how. That's how. What a lock I think it is. So if you're gonna add depth there, you're gonna have to use draft picks for it. 
So what is the point of throwing away your draft to try to chase success right now? I mean, trading away, <laughs> trading away picks to chase a title with this team doesn't make any sense when you consider that your secondary, specifically your cornerbacks, can still get healthy and provide you with better results. Your defensive line that you spent all that money on can still round to form. They can gel. They can improve. And they can show that kind of trickle-down effect that we talked about them in our Rock Pile Report podcast having on the rest of the defense. Your offensive line can get healthy in tandem with your playmakers. I'm talking about guys like Ford, Feliciano, Brown, and Moss. And they can help stabilize the performance of your offense overall. I mean, hell, you can even rely on new faces to shake things up if you wanted to. You still have a Ty Seki on the roster who hasn't gotten a shot to play at all. If you really hated everything that much on offense, rather than going and trading for someone, let your off- fix your offensive line by continuing to shuffle. Why not? What do you have to lose? They're bad. The reality is that spending capital that you're going to need over the next two seasons if quote-unquote sustained success, which is the thing that Bean keeps saying is our ultimate goal, it just becomes lunacy. Anything we could reasonably afford along the lines of what we have in terms of draft picks that we can afford to give away and cap space that we have at our disposal, those guys aren't going to make an impact. There's no impact player that you're bringing in here that's going to produce a better product than what these guys can put together for you. So in my opinion, fans need to do themselves a favor and let it go. Give up these absurd concepts for trades for name players. The defensive, the A.J. Greens and the Zach Ertz of the world. Stop it. Stop talking about it because that's, you're filling up the, you're using up oxygen. Chris, don't they talk about how carbon emissions are destroying the earth? You people are wasting precious oxygen talking about these things. I just think that the sooner that we get to that point, the sooner everyone in Bill's Mafia is going to be. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to bet online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So now we're talking about the New England Patriots who lost 33-6 to the 49ers. <sighs> Patriots podcaster and writer extraordinaire. How do you feel about that? These are dark days, my friend. These are dark days. And it's not because, you know, the days are getting short. It's because we are approaching panic time in New England, my friends. And there is literally the possibility that not only do the Buffalo Bills end New England season on Sunday, you might transform the New England Patriots into sellers by next Tuesday. Wow. Like, we are hearing rumors that they're shopping Stephon Gilmore. The fact that that story came out on Tuesday morning makes me think that if New England loses this game, they are going to punt on 2020. See, and that's what's crazy to me is when I watched that game, I remember telling my my wife is coming into the room and asking me, why are you still watching this? 
She's like, you know, this game's a blowout. Why do you care? And I looked at her and I go, honey, do you know who you married? I want to right. soak in this like it was a bubble bath with jets. I want to layer. I want to wallow in it. If I could roll in it like a dog, I would. Two and four. Is it a place that you ever saw the 2020 Patriots in your mind? I mean, I think you knew that struggles were coming at the onset of the season. But in terms of just how things would go, is this a place you saw yourself being? No. No, I think if you ask any Patriots fan, they would have told you the reasonable position was three and two at the bye. You beat, you know, Denver, the Raiders, Miami. Yeah, you probably lose Kansas City. Yeah, you probably lose that game to Seattle. But you're three and two. You get your bye week. You come out of your bye week and you're ready to go. This is not what we expected this team to be at all. I mean, you know, when- because they, they lost the bye. Then they lose to Denver. And now to get blown out in the fashion that they did by San Francisco, this was a team that couldn't do anything offensively and a team that struggled on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't think we should, I don't think we should overlook that. This is a team that, you know, they held Denver to 18 points and got two interceptions in the fourth quarter of Drew Locke, so they put themselves on a chance to win that game. San Francisco moved the ball at will. Well, here's and a so, here's a question. Yeah. So the Buffalo Bills just beat in a and and this is a corollary that kept coming up in my head. You guys lose to Denver in a field goal festival, and your defense plays good ball, but your offense can't float it. And then you go into this game this week. I mean, the Buffalo Bills just won a similar game against the New York Jets. <laughs> but that's the Jets' defense, not the vaunted Patriots' defense. And yet, they lost the same way you guys did. And then you look at this week. I mean, when you lose by 20 or more points, it's safe to assume that everything went wrong. Not just one or two things. But it's the biggest loss of the Bilicek era. What has the fan reaction and the analyst reaction been like in Foxborough? Well, I mean, it all starts with the quarterback position. And that's the debate right now. What is wrong with Cam Newton? Not if something's wrong with him. What is wrong with him? Is it mechanical? Is he hurt? Is it an offensive issue? Is it people around him? Is it a lack of talent? Is it the offensive line? Like, all the questions sort of flow from there. I mean, I think people... Understand that in today's NFL, you will have like a bad defensive game from time to time. You will more likely than not see this defense play better against Buffalo. But the problem is with the offense playing at such a poor level, it's not that the defense has to be good. The defense has to be perfect. And that's a tough ask for any defense in the National Football League. And they've given themselves no margin for error. They have to stay in one-score games. If they're not in one-score game script-positive situations, the offense isn't going to work. And you can imagine, you put that all together, morale is not exactly high in New England. You know, there are a lot of people that expect that, you know, come this time next week, we are talking about the trades that were made. They are now sellers. And we're looking at 2021's draft class of quarterbacks. What was the most frustrating part of the loss to San Francisco? Was it, I mean, because I, I rewatched it and I made a list of things that I loved, which means, <laughs> which means I'm sure you hated them. The first one, on drive one, you guys had no answer for screenplays. Debo Samuel ate you guys alive. I mean, he's a rare athlete in terms of his low center of gravity his ability to catch the ball in stride and take it for plus yardage through contact. I get that. But when you watch him just tear your defense apart on these screen passes, that has to be frustrating. And then on drive two, 
I'm watching that the Patriots are unable to capitalize multiple sacks, negative yardage situations. You had them, and yet you couldn't get them off the field. And it felt like that after that drive just became a consistent theme throughout the game. What do you, where do you lay the blame for some of that? You know, I think at some level you have to give some credit to Kyle Shanahan. I think Kyle Shanahan did some things schematically in that game that kept New England guessing, kept them on their heels. He did a very good job using motion to get to the edges, to get to the edges artificially on designs, you know, orbit screens and swings like you were talking about, Drew. You know, I think the, the most frustrating thing from where I was watching that game is just they couldn't do anything offensively. They just could not do anything offensively. And, you know, rewatching that game today, there are so many problems on the offensive side of the ball in the passing game, from the quarterback and his mechanics to the receivers and the separation or lack thereof to the offensive line's inability to hold blocks, and back to the quarterback between the ears, not trusting what he's seeing. There are missed opportunities for a number of reasons. And yes, Tony Dungy said Sunday night that Bill Belichick, there's nobody better at fixing a team. And while that might be true, there's no one fix. There's no silver bullet. There's no one thing that Bill Belichick can do with this offense and say, okay, if we just play a new left tackle, we'll be fine. Or if we just run these plays, we'll be fine. There are problems all over the place on offense. I don't see how that gets fixed in the span of a week before a trade deadline, before you're now a 2-5 and five team looking up at both the Dolphins and the Bills in the division, let alone the rest of the conference, there's time is running out. For you personally, does it sting watching Tom Brady go to Tampa Bay, now knowing where the Patriots are right now this week, watching him flourish? Tom Brady has 18 passing touchdowns compared to the three that have been thrown by Patriots quarterbacks. You know that SpongeBob meme, that that image of Squidward behind the window and he's looking through the grates and you see Patrick and you see SpongeBob and they're dancing and celebrating. That's Patriots fans right now. Like we're watching Brady and Gronk and they're dancing and now we're going to see Antonio Brown. And even though Brown was just a New England for one game, we're going to see that too. You know, I, I think the, the one-two punch of not just seeing what Brady's doing, but having Garoppolo come into Foxborough and carve up their defense, like that's a one-two punch to the, you know, to the solar plexus that Patriots fans just weren't ready for. And so you add all that together, Drew, it's no wonder that you turn on you know EEI, you turn on 98.5, you go on Twitter, you read the threads at Patch Pulpit. It's these are dark days. No, my I am. DMs are, I'm doing my all DMs, it. my texts, they are filled with misery right now. I gotta i I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm doing all of those things. I'm over oh, at I Pat's know. pulpit going through the comment I section. You, I know you <laughs> lurk over at pulpit. All you've said it, you've told me it before. I can probably figure out, you know, if you're posted under a burner who you are. I'd like to flip <laughs> my entire Wednesday to that room. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's one of my favorite things, is I, haunting all of the Patriots message boards. Oh, so the level of alarm in Patriots Nation, according to PlayoffStatus.com, which is a weekly updated tracker of playoff odds based on remaining opponents, current record, you know, they have a formula. The Patriots have just an 18% chance at making the playoffs with their current 2-4 and four record. A fall to 2-5, and five, 
would, according to the chart that I keep handy, showing percentage of teams that made the playoffs broken out along an X and Y axis by wins and losses, would leave the Patriots with something in the ballpark of a 3% chance to make the postseason. If that were to happen, you've been alluding to it, that there's been talk about a fire sale and how they may actually just start the rebuild now if that were to happen. Do you genuinely believe in your heart of hearts? Because you, you're a pragmatic guy. Do you believe that actually to be the case? Or is that the worst case scenario? I believe it to some extent to be the case. I think if you look at the the fact, what that is working in their favor right now is that they do have a lot of cap space. And so they will be able to make some moves on the open market next offseason if they don't have a fire sale. They also have right now a pick that would be in the top 15. So they could still lose this game and decide, look, we'll, we'll just stand pat. We'll ride this season out. We've got cap space. We'll have a pick in the top 15, maybe even in the top 10 if we keep losing. And we'll see where we are. But the pragmatic side of me thinks, look, you have a rare opportunity, a sense an opportunity that as Patriots fans and an organization haven't had in a while to just sort of lay down. And I don't think Bill Belichick would be tanking. I think it's more likely he actually gets a tank and physically acquires the pick by force <laughs> than losing games on purpose. But if you've got an opportunity to have yourself a pick in the top eight or so, and maybe you move Stephon Gilmore for maybe a second rounder, you move Edelman for maybe like a day three pick, you start accumulating some more draft capital – you might be in the neighborhood where you could make a move to the top of the board if you felt like you wanted to. If you were that in love with a player, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. You know, think about where we were this summer. And I said, guys, look at this Patriots schedule. It's a tough schedule. They Belichick could have the job of his do the job of his life and they could go seven and nine. That's seeming like it could happen. And so the other thing I said. If they start losing games and it's a December game and you're the Jets and you think, oh, we can get one over on good old Bill right now, maybe don't <laughs> because you might just make it easier for them to get to the top of the draft board. But that's where we're at right now. That's these are the these are the conversations that I think are taking place right now in that front office. What do we do if Monday morning we're two and five and people are calling us about Stephon Gilmore, Julian Edelman, J.C. Jackson? What do we do? I think you have to consider moving some pieces and getting ready for 2021. Are any of these quarterbacks coming out in April? Are any of their comps Hugh Millen? <laughs> um, perhaps Zach Wilson, the kid from BYU, in which case. Or Steve Grogan. Oh, I, none of these kids wear <laughs> neck rolls. But I do think the most physical of the group that would be most comparable to Steve Grogan would probably be, I'd say Trey Lance there. Lance, Lance gives you some Grogan vibes. But that's where we're at. I Hear, mean, hearing you, know, you talk about this, Schofield, I mean, if you listen just hard enough, you can hear all the Buffalonians and just how badly, how badly they feel for you guys. Yeah. 
Did you see Jack <laughs> in a beer? I expected champagne tonight. I'm almost disappointed. No, guys. Now, listen, we you cracked champagne at Tom yeah. Brady retiring because that was one of the greatest moments of my life. Yeah. That we, was one, and then we were happy that we could share it with you, sir. Yeah. I was happy you shared it with me, too. Yeah, we'll <laughs> break out more champagne when you officially miss the playoffs. Oh, my God. We're going to bring you back for that. Yeah, you think you are. <laughs> you think you You're going to fight me. Yeah. <laughs> No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't deny you guys that moment. No way, I'd be back here for that to take my lickings. And that's what makes you excellent, sir. Why don't you tell everybody who's listening right now what you have coming up this week and where they can find the rest of your work? Well, this week I've got coming out on Wednesday at Pat's Pulpit. Um, the diagnosis of what exactly is wrong with the Patriots' offense. Um, doing stuff over touchdown wire, quarterback videos all the time, power rankings, all that fun stuff. But you can find me on Twitter at Mark Schofield. You can tweet me hateful memes about how bad the Patriots are and. <laughs> I'll probably have to chuckle a lot because there's not much I can say right now. It's not like I can have a comeback, a witty little whippersnapper of a line. Like, yeah, you guys are bad too. No, I can't. So <laughs> dunk on me now. Feel free. Thanks to Mark Schofield and Scott Mason for coming on to talk a little bit of Jets, a little bit of Patriots. They do great jobs for all their podcasts and writing ability for their teams. Oh, they, they produce great content. It's the reason why this show works is because we have such a network of of course, we're lucky that we can rely on guys like this to come through for us every single week. Yeah, I don't know why they do. I don't know either, because we're, we're terrible people. You're a terrible ah. person. Here's the thing. I'm a okay. saint. Okay, so if we're talking about being terrible people, you know how China has like the social credit score that yeah. they assign to all their citizens? My social credit score would be pretty low. Yeah. Do you think it's so low that as the producer of a podcast, like you doing this with me, that my credit score could drag yours down just by being associated with you? Probably. <laughs> You're like my co-signer. <laughs> I love it. Folks, here is your week eight outlook. First of all, Miami is home against the Rams. This is an this is interesting. This game alone is one of the reasons that we're going to be watching football at my house this week. Because I need to see this game. I need to see Tua Tagovailoa's first start. I need to see what that team looks like. Now, they're coming into... Because this is they're hitting the meat of their schedule, and they've decided to kind of... They've decided to roll the dice with an unproven quarterback option and just go for it. I mean, I get it. Ryan Fitzpatrick threw seven interceptions in the first couple weeks. They think that with fewer turnovers and maybe a little bit bigger arm, they can accomplish more things. But there is a rookie learning curve. Justin Herbert just got his first win, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. But they've also... But they've put they, on a show, like the, right? Yeah, well, like the Saints Monday night game. Yeah. Like. And it took them multiple attempts to win their first game with Justin Herbert at the helm. So when I see that, and I think about Tua Tagovailoa, and I think about how the Miami Dolphins aren't exactly healthy. They're a little bit banged up on defense. That's the thing that they're hoping can make life easier for Tua. This is going to be—it's going to be incredibly interesting. They are must-watch TV this weekend because you want to see if the Miami Dolphins come out and can actually improve. Because if they don't, and they lose, let's say they go one and two over their next three, Chris, the second. The second place in the AFC East becomes a runaway for the Buffalo Bills. Exactly. But none of that matters if we... The New York Jets, I mean, does it matter who they're playing? No. They're playing <laughs> Kansas City. I, 
shit. Oh, see, that's how little I pay attention to the Jets, I guess. How about that? Because I, so I think I saw it earlier today or yesterday. Give me the line on that game. Kansas. No, no, no. Don't look at it. You tell me. Don't what look it, at it? I'll tell you what it is. You Look at me and tell me what that line is. Kansas City against the New York Jets. The 0-7 New York Jets against the 6-1 Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say it because 13.5 was a big line. I don't know. I'm going to say probably 15. I saw a 19 and a half. <laughs> oh, oh, God. It's like Alabama playing the Citadel. What did we just talk about, though? Damn it. Look, look at what you did. Because now I'm already, like, in my head, I'm doing the mental gymnastics of how many different sports books I could go to and who I could, wh- how many turf accountants I can call. Oh, I want to max this game out. I want to bet five different times. I want to make five different individual bets. Oh, my God. I don't know if I can trust the Jets at plus 19 and a half <laughs> against the Chiefs. I'm taking the Chiefs minus 19 and a half. Oh, Chris, you, what did you do to me? I, no. You want to come down to this casino with me be, and bet? Be strong, Drew. Be strong. You're not sports betting. You have a wife. You have a kid. You've got a lot of shit to lose. Yeah, don't you want to double up on his college tuition? Yeah! Stop Stop taunting me. Well, it's not that much. He's going to community college. <laughs> and then you've got Buffalo and New England. This game, we talked about it. It has the feeling of a playoff game for obvious reasons. Regardless of the standings, there's a lot at stake. For New England, a conference win that would bring them closer to 500 while simultaneously helping them narrow the gap a little bit on the division leader. And it's still a chance for them to maintain that one part of the Bilicek lore that isn't currently on fire, covered with shit, and that's their domination of the Buffalo Bills as a franchise. For Buffalo, it's a chance to extend their lead in the division to a comfortable three and a half games, depending on Tua's rookie performance. It's an opportunity to clean up the, all of the flaws that we've illustrated over the last month of football and show the performance of their defensive line can be replicated against a more quality opponent and maybe exercise some of the demons of the past by putting what would feel like a solid dagger into the heart of it. Just an enemy that let's face it. They, they have a loss to Buffalo coming to them soon, right? Has to be. Why not now? Why not now? (laughs) Why not? Out of all the improbable things, listen, all the improbable things happening in Foxborough, why not a loss to the Buffalo Bills? That's right. You don't have an answer. We go out there and we get it. I'm excited. I can't wait to see it all play out. Folks, huge shout out to our guests tonight, Mr. Scott Mason and Mr. Mark Schofield. Chris, this has been fun. It always is. Watch your sports betting because <laughs> it's going to get you in trouble. We're going to get out of here, folks. I'm Drew Garrett. That's Chris Krueger. Next time you see him, he'll be wearing a cardboard box because he's lost his pants at the casino. And this has been the AFCE's Roundup. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.